How's it going, everyone? It's Ethan Lang back here with another video. Big news. So this is actually the first podcast that has a video component. If you're watching on YouTube, it's great to see it. If not, well, at least you can still listen to me. In today's episode, I bring on a special guest, Craig Kerlop, to talk about reaching financial freedom at a young age. Craig reached financial freedom by age 26 by using a unique strategy called house hacking. If you don't know what house hacking is, well, you're in for a treat. And if you've heard of house hacking before, still give this episode a listen because Craig dropped some tips that weren't even released in his book that he wrote about house hacking. That's enough said. Let's talk to Craig. Craig, I've long awaited to have you on the podcast. How's it going, man? Good, man. Ethan, it's good to finally be here. Uh, I'm excited to have a conversation with you here over the next, you know, however long. Yeah. So everyone, everyone listening, this is like our third time meeting. We've had some difficulties, technical difficulties and getting everything set up. So now we finally have it set up and we're ready to get started. So Craig, Bigger Pockets has played a huge role in my development and getting into real estate, personal finance, investing, all of these things. Um, and actually from that, two of my favorite books, one of them isn't yours, but one of them is. Um, the first one is Set for Life by Scott Trench. It's a great book. And the second book, which I think is really actionable, is The House Hacking Strategy by you. And before we get into house hacking, which is really when I want to have this episode be about, I want to kind of talk about earlier how you all got started, because I think why you did what you did is so much more important than the what. So I think getting started with that. So I know a little bit about you from the book, but how did it all start from you? When you were a kid, did you have that entrepreneurial mindset, investing mindset? Um, where did that all spurn from? Yeah, so I guess taking it way, way back, um, growing up, my parents were both entrepreneurs. They both had small businesses, um, but not kind of in the way that you think, like they never really scaled. They were kind of just created a job for themselves kind of business, like just, you know, one or two employees kind of thing. Um so I always had that entrepreneur mindset. I didn't like people telling me what to do. Uh, I was always a saver. Even as a kid, I would save my allowance and I wanted to save up for the biggest and baddest thing. Didn't really know too much about investing, but I knew I had the saving muscle that I was always kind of exercising in school. Um, you know, some of like the fun stories you like to hear. I used to buy like a box of pencils. You know, you buy like a 20 pack for like three bucks and I would sell, sell them to my friends for a dollar each. Right. Or I would make my mom make me two sandwiches and they were really good sandwiches and I would sell one for five bucks. So I had these like little entrepreneurial ticks. I didn't even know kind of that what they were. I just was trying to make an extra dollar. Um, I guess fast forward, you know, to through college and all that kind of stuff. Um, and I found myself working a W2 job in California, working as a analyst at like a venture capital company. And I just like absolutely hated it. I was working a hundred plus hour weeks, you know, making decent pay, like all in, I was making over six figures and I was 22, 23 years old. So like not bad for a 23 year old. Um, but man, like it was just like mind sucking, life sucking work. And I just went home one day and I was like, I just had enough. And, and I Googled, you know, Basically, I Googled like passive income or whatever, and I, I stumbled upon Tim Ferriss's book. Um, Tim Ferriss's book, The 4-Hour Workweek, basically allowed me to think of like, he talks about passive income per month, and that needs to exceed your expenses, and that's when you have financial independence. And there are millions of people that say this thing, but Tim Ferriss was the one that said it that stuck in my head. And ever since then, I was just thinking about passive income, passive income, passive income, stumbled upon real estate and bigger pockets, and yeah, just went down the rabbit hole from there. So then with that, 
your venture capital job, you said you were making good pay, but you were just working yourself to death. Is that kind of why you wanted to make that switch and not have to work, but be able to make money while you're not working? And did you think that venture capital was going to be able to do that for you in the beginning? So, man, I went to a school where they really promoted, like, especially in the finance, where they really promoted like startups and entrepreneur, but like, so financing that was pretty sexy. Like it was one of the sexiest jobs that my school had to offer. And it was one of the sexiest employers that my school had to offer. So it was like a no brainer to take that at first. Um, but when I kind of took a step back and realized that I was like in a long sleeve, you know, like button up shirt with dress pants and dress shoes. And like, I was like, that's just not me. Right. And I went back to thinking like, what do I actually want to do? Like, what do I want to do with my life? And it was like, travel, spend time with friends and family, be a really good dad someday, be a really good husband someday, right? Everything that was just life, not invest in, you know, help somebody invest in the startup that might be the next, I don't know, Facebook or something, right? Like that just wasn't in the cards for me. And so that's when I realized like I am not headed towards where I want to be. All of the people around me, all of my mentors, at 40 years old, they're just 30 feet down the hall. So if I were to succeed in this career, I would end up 30 feet down the hall, maybe making a little bit more money, but still a slave to the guy making 10 times more than anybody else. So I decided that I wanted to be the guy that was making 10 times more than everybody else and, you know, and employ people that way. And that's kind of, that was like the big mindset shift for me was like, I need to create a lifestyle that's going to allow me to do the things that I truly love to do. And what made you, what made you different than? the guy down the hall, you know, what you're looking up to. And in 20 years, 30 years down the line, that's going to be you. If you stay at this venture capital job, what made you confident enough to try to find something else versus just sticking to where, you know, you were comfortable. Like you said, you were making six figures at age 22, 23, which is a lot of money for a lot of people. And I, I would beg to think that most people would have stuck with that job. What made you decide to then, move on and go into real estate and go into some of those things that build you passive income when you already had this active income that was there for you? Yeah, that, that's a great question. Uh, and I don't think that I've ever actually even been asked that question before. Um, and, you know, to answer the question about the guy down the hall, it, he was in the same position as me, just making more money, right? Like that's nowhere to be. And, and he was 15 years, over 15 years older than me, still getting yelled at by the same mother effort that I was getting yelled at. Right. Like, so it was literally in the same position as me. Like I did not want that. Like, you know, once I found out about this financial dependence, it was just like, once you like see it, you can't unsee it. Once you see passive income and like you flip that switch, like thinking like the rich versus the poor, like, like Robert Kiyosaki talks about, I, I just couldn't unsee it. And that's the only thing. And if anything that wasn't passive income was just killing me. And so I realized that I could make infinitely more money if I, if I have passive income, because passive income is leverage, right? Passive income you make passively without, without putting any sort of effort or time in. And then you can go out and make your active income. And even if I'm making the same hundred grand, if I got a hundred grand in passive income and a hundred grand in active income, that's double the amount of money that I would be making otherwise, right? And so once you realize that that's kind of a leverage, a lever that you can pull, I think it's just huge. Yeah. Because right when I started, you know, getting into this stuff, you know, rich dad, poor dad was huge for me being able to see, you know, he says the rich don't work for money, being able to see that. And once I figured it out and I was like, oh my goodness, like I'm not going to be in this rabbit hole for the next 20, 30, 40 years and then be able to retire. It was like, I can do this stuff now 
I can do this stuff now and be able to get there so much sooner. And one of the ways that you really talk, and it's in your book, about getting there so much sooner is house hacking. Could you explain to the audience, you know, a little bit about what house hacking is? Yeah. So house hacking is the idea that you buy a property, a one to four unit property with a low percentage down, typically anywhere between 0% if you're in the military up to 5% really maximum. You have to live in the property for one year because it's an owner occupied loan. And you, while you're living there, you rent out the other bedrooms, you rent out the other units. If it's a two, three or four unit, or maybe you Airbnb, the basement or other parts of the house that you're not using. And the income that you generate from that, those, those tenants or those guests covers your mortgage and you're able to live for free, which is eliminating, I would bet almost anything that your largest expense is housing that would eliminate your largest expense, which allows you to save so much quicker and and build wealth so much faster. And you know what I always tell people, I actually made a YouTube video a couple weeks ago talking about your book. And I think what's so crazy about it is at the exact same time you are eliminating your largest expense, you're potentially making income if your if your income's higher than your expenses on that regard, but then you're also paying down a property. So you're getting all three of those things at once. And you know, for a lot of people this seems amazing, but there's a lot more work that goes into it compared to then let's say normal index fund investing and stuff like that. So I want to get a little bit more into it, but first I want to talk about um, bigger pockets. Can you tell the audience a little bit about bigger pockets, what it is and what role you play in it? Yeah. So bigger pockets is, is a tremendous resource for all real estate investors. If you haven't heard of it, you need to get on it. Basically it's a all encompassing platform for real estate investors. You can network with other investors. They have millions and millions of hours of content on all forms of real estate investing, buy and hold, house hacking, fix and flip, rental property, well, you name it. They've got tons of tons of content on it. One of the best podcasts, if not the best real estate podcast. Uh, so just like an amazing site for real estate investors, really a one-stop shop. Um, I used to work there. I worked there for three years um, and had an amazing time. I was the finance person there for a while and then uh, kind of started producing a little bit of the webinars. But I ended up getting too busy with my real estate agent gig and I had to quit Bigger Pockets, or I like to say I graduated from Bigger Pockets because there was no, you know, no ill intent there. And I still got a great relationship with everyone there um, and started becoming a real estate agent full time. So, one thing I want to go into with Bigger Pockets is when you started this house hacking was right around the time that you joined bigger pockets. And I think having mentors, having an inner circle, having something like that is huge. What did bigger pockets, the people at bigger pockets, how did they play a role in your ability to begin investing and begin house hacking much more easily versus someone who's starting out that maybe doesn't have the education and doesn't know who to talk to? Yeah, that's a great question. And so I would say most most of the employees at Bigger Pockets do not invest in real estate. They are, at the end of the day, Bigger Pockets is a tech company. So they've got great engineers, they've got great finance people, they've got great product people, all that, right? So a lot of them don't invest. Now, a handful do invest. And I was, I, and I did have, you know, I did have some advantage because I was able to talk with Scott Trench, uh, the CEO of Bigger Pockets. I was able to talk with Mindy Jensen, who's the co host of the Money Podcast, with Scott. Um, I was able to ping Brandon whenever, right? Like there was an advantage, but not as big as you might think, Mm -hmm. right? Like they have jobs, they have lives, they aren't, I'm not paying them for their mentorship. They, you know, like I I didn't want to bother them. And so, you know, I was, I was definitely, um, 
it, it was an advantage, but not as big as one of the, you might think. Like if you were just like on bigger pockets, that's a good enough advantage. So then what did you do to educate yourself? And along with that question, how do people not get into this analysis paralysis to where they keep educating themselves, keep looking for deals and, and they just are so reluctant to buying because they're nervous because for example, like index funds, it's super easy to be able to just say, Hey, I'm going to put $300 a month into the market. But with buying a house hack or buying real estate in general, it's a lot bigger of a decision and it can make a huge payoff. But if you do it wrong, like you could lose a lot of money. So how, how can you get that middle ground of educating yourself enough, but not doing it too far to where you don't ever take a deal? Yeah. So, you know, you really should always be educating yourself, right? Like just always be listening to the podcast, always be reading the books, all of that. And you should just get a pretty good feeling. Like you'll know when you're ready. And I would say, three to six months of consistent um, consistent knowledge will allow you to do this totally on your own, right? If you are in an area where there are investor-friendly realtors, then like you don't even need that and you can kind of have them guide you through it. You're putting your trust in someone else. So you need to like make sure you vet them properly and all that. Um, but like we, you know, we've had people that literally, literally they knew nothing about real estate investing, nothing about house hacking. I had a conversation with them. They were under contract in like three days and closed within a month. Didn't listen to a podcast, didn't read, they read the books after they went under contract. Right. And so you don't need to know that much money. You don't need to know that much. It's, it's really as simple as you buy a house with a low percent down and you rent out the rooms, right? The, all of the, all of the knowledge and all of the learning will help you mitigate any risk. But that the idea that you're going to fail is so, like, so minuscule because look, you have a rental payment anyway, right? So the worst thing that happens is you've got a mortgage payment and maybe you're living in a house slightly above your means. But if you can just get one room filled, I bet you you're, you're probably doing pretty good. If you can get two, three, or four rooms filled, you're doing even better. And it's really just that simple of a process. There are like a lot of people, a lot dumber than you guys listening to this, who have purchased houses and who have rented rooms. I promise you that. Yeah, and I think when I was listening to it, the first thing that popped in my head was, oh, house hacking is different than real estate investing because the alternative, the opportunity cost, whatever, you know, is your rent or mortgage payment. So you're going to have that anyways. With a traditional real estate deal, you know, you're not living in the property and you're not saving any money. It's, it's all for income in a sense. But with house hacking, you know, I don't want to, you don't want to compare yourself to others, but the other people that aren't house hacking, they're still in a rent payment. So even if your deal doesn't grow great, like you said, you have maybe one other tenant or maybe two, you're still bringing an income and are probably making more than what the traditional person would or what you would if you wouldn't be house hacking instead would be renting or, or buying a mortgage. So let's kind of get into some examples. I don't know how many properties do you currently own? And would you like to give us any like concrete examples of um, how you look through the deal and things like that? Yeah. So I, I have 11, 12 properties and two pieces of land right now. Um, I suspect this is house hacking orientated so we can go into the house hack. Um, I mean, I can talk about the first one. That yeah, one let's do that one. But that one is pretty, com that one's pretty commonly known. I can talk about the third one, which isn't in the book because I had got that after I wrote the book. Yeah. Let's, um, let's give the guests a little, a little sneak peek that they won't get in the book. Yeah. A little new juice. All right. So let's, uh, so we'll talk about my third one. So this property, um, was a six bed, three bath. 
and it had a kitchen in the downstairs. The kitchen looked like absolute trash in the downstairs. The upstairs was pretty turnkey. I like the turnkey properties. Um, I really wanted a six bed, three bath because I wanted to have a three bed, two bath upstairs and a three bed, one bath downstairs. The area was perfect right next to a couple of highways that can get you, you know, up, up to Boulder in about 20 minutes down to Denver in five to 10 minutes. So really great location. And I purchased it for 380,000. Uh, this was back in 2019. I, um, so I lived in the top, uh, the top unit and I rented out each of the two other bedrooms, the master for 900 and the other one for 650. So I was getting 1550 in rent for the top unit while living, you know, while I occupied the third. And then I got about $2,000 for the Airbnb downstairs. So I, I Airbnb the downstairs with the kitchen. I ended up redoing the entire downstairs, put in like a new attractive kitchen, lights, paint, floors, made it look nice. And so now it looks nice. Um, I was getting two thousand a month for the Airbnb, fifteen fifty for the upstairs. So thirty five fifty was my total income from that property. Plus, I was living for free, and uh, my mortgage payment was twenty one hundred. So I was making fourteen fifty on that property. Plus, I was living for free. And you can see how powerful that can be, right? Um, and so, you know, a total savings of close to $2,000 a month because I wasn't paying rent. And I'm able just to like, you know, save that plus what I had for my other two properties uh, to just continue to buy and buy and buy, you know, every year. And you just, you know, methodically buy every single year. And, you know, after that third one was when I officially hit financial independence. So a lot of people are probably a little confused at how you can buy more than one house hack because they're probably thinking, you know, I can only live in one house. How can I buy multiple house hacks? Can you explain to them kind of how you do that and how you can buy multiple house hacks over a period of time? Sure. Yeah. So uh, you only have to live in it for one year. So basically, like I bought my first house hack in June of 2017. Um, I bought my second one in June of 2018. And I bought my third in August of 2019. So pretty much exactly, you know, exactly a year each time you buy the next one. And it works. I mean, that's that's how you build it. And so, you know, I've, I've been doing this now for four years and I'm going on my fifth house hack. And then the old house hacks, then you just move out and then add another tenant. So you don't have that rent payment on that house anymore, but you are bringing in more income than you were before. And then you buy the next house hack, keep doing it over, over time. And solely house hacking was able to bring you financial independence. Is that right? That's right. Yep. Um, you know, each, each of my properties at that point was cash flowing me on average about a thousand dollars. So it was $3,000 a month. I had in passive income, which, you know, I, I couldn't live lavishly on it, but me being a single person in my, you know, mid twenties at the time could definitely live off that and could definitely take some risks with $3,000 of passive income coming in every month. For sure. And then that money's passive income. And on top of that, you might have your active income and that passive income can be used to buy more properties, do more house hacks, you know, buy land, other things like that that you've been doing. I know a lot of people are probably also thinking that they don't have enough money to do this because you think about buying a property and that property could be 100,000, 200,000, 300,000. And right away people think, "Oh, I'm going to have to put 20% down." Like if if that's a $200,000 house, I'm going to have to pay $40,000 and I don't have $40,000. What do you say to people that think that and what are the creative strategies that you've implemented to be able to afford houses without putting as much down. Yeah, so that that's why you have to live there for a year, right? There's the owner-occupied loans. And because they're owner-occupied, because you're going to live there, um, the lenders 
think you're less risky. And because you're less risky, they're okay with doing a 3% down or a 5% down or 3.5% down. And so you don't need to pay 20%, right? That same $200,000 house will just cost you six grand, right? There's even like 1% down payment, down payment assistance, assistance program. So maybe you can get it for even as low as two grand, right? Um, and so really it is, um, it is just an amazing strategy for that reason. You're just putting in so little amount of money and you're getting out so much more. So then what recommendations, um, would you have for people just getting started? They start with the education. What, what are the next steps? And I know you talk about it a little bit in the book. And I think anyone listening to this podcast, if you're really serious about this, you should probably go read the book more in depth. But what's kind of the process that we have to go through from first deciding like, hey, I'm going to do house hacking to buying your first property to finding renters and, and doing every step of the process? Honestly, man, like the first step is just getting uh, finding a realtor, finding someone else that can help like a keep you accountable and b that knows the market. Uh, and it's OK if you're six to 12 months out. Right. You can still just have that conversation. And the realtors have probably dealt with people just like you. And so if you're six to 12 months out, they can coach you and say, hey, this is what you need to do in the next six to six to 12 months. So you are absolutely 100 percent as ready as possible when it's time to go and pull the trigger. Right. Um, and I mean, you can obviously find investor friendly realtors all over. Uh, if you need an introduction, I can introduce I have a massive network of investor-friendly realtors. You can go on bigger pockets and find people that way, um, whatever it is. Okay, so at this point in the episode, I want to actually bring up one of my friends. So one of my friends um, actually bought a house hack, and I want to go through his house hack and see if you might have any recommendations for him. So um, the book, The House Hacking Strategy, I actually got as a gift from this friend, and then later that year, he actually bought his first house hack. Um, the property is a six bedroom, single family home, but it's split into two different units, the upstairs and the downstairs. He has two, three bedroom units with, um, with their own kitchen, one bathroom. So it's essentially a top down duplex. Um, the top unit needed some renovations and the basement needed a lot of renovations. So he has a lot of money in the property. He's planning on doing a cash out refinance once the renovations are done. What recommendations would you have for him so he can be successful in the future? Um, let's see. That, that sounds like a lot like my property, which is kind of funny. Um, I mean, the recommendations, I, I personally think that when you're house hacking, you know, you hear on bigger pockets and you hear on all these real estate podcasts that like you need to put a whole bunch of money and fix up a property. Um, I would say when you're, I would argue very much against that when you're house hacking, because for every dollar that you're putting into that rehab is a dollar taking away from your down payment on your next house hack. Um, for every dollar you're putting in on that property, right? It's, it's, you know, you're not getting rent because you're probably doing a renovation. You don't want people living in a construction zone. You're paying the mortgage instead of somebody else. Um, and so, yeah, like you're getting a little bit of equity, but that equity is locked up, right? It's locked up in the house. You can't get it. And if you do a cash out refi, that's great. Maybe he can get some cash out, but that, that one year timer is going to start over for him unless he can somehow get 20%, in which case he's going to leave 17% in the deal, right? Actually, no, he's going to leave 20% in the deal. So he's probably not going to come out with that much money anyway. So, you know, I personally think like, hey, whatever floats your boat, if you want to, you know, you want to get those pictures on Instagram or whatever, you want to start making a brand, I think it's great. But if you just want to like get a house hack, make it simple, easy, and, and I think the most beneficial for you, 
just get something that's turned pretty turnkey. I mean, you're going to have to make some updates most likely, but you know, a full rehab to increase value, I don't think should be in your, in your investment thesis in a house hack. Gotcha. Gotcha. So then what, what are the types of strategies that you can implement in house hacking? Because we've been talking a lot about, you know, the traditional house hack, um, have a duplex, live in one unit, rent out the other. What are some, and I know you talk a lot about it in the book. What are some of those other strategies for someone that let's say doesn't want to have a tenant that lives um, in the room next to them or, or once maybe a house hack that, you know, they've already, they've already built wealth, but then they want to spend less, you know, and they want to save money by house hacking. What's the alternate times of types of forms of house hacking that they could implement? Yeah, so we'll call that kind of one that you're kind of alluding to called luxury house hacking, right? And so we have we have this spectrum of comfortability on one side and profitability on the other side. And I would say like, you know, as you go towards comfort, you lose profit and, and vice versa. And so on that spectrum, luxury would be like the most comfortable. And that's, you know, maybe you've got a house with an additional dwelling unit in the backyard and you Airbnb out that additional dwelling unit. Or maybe, you know, like your friend's got the additional unit in the basement, he Airbnb's that, so they're never really crossing paths. So that, that might be of interest if you know, if you've got a family, if you've got a kids, if you really like your own space, but you still want to save some money, but it's not going to be anywhere near as possible or anywhere near as profitable as if you were to like rent that out and also rent out the bedrooms in your, you know, in your unit. Right. Um, or if you're, you know, do like the camper van strategy where you, you live in a van and you rent out your entire place. And so, you know, you just got to kind of juggle, you know, where are you on that spectrum and it doesn't matter where you are. Like, I think as long as you just act and do something, it's better than just sitting around doing nothing. For sure. Cause even, even a comfortable, you know, luxury house hacking, you're still saving money, you know, and it's up oh, to yeah. you. Like at some point when you have enough money, it's everything's not just to maximize the dollar, you know, but to bring you happiness. And if you want that comfort, you know, that's huge to be able to have that versus someone who's just starting out and can live with roommates and, and have an Airbnb and part of their unit and things like that. Before I let you go, what's one piece of advice that you would give to our audience that's non-financially related? One piece of advice that's non-financially related. Um, I would just say, you know, always, I would say, you know, surround yourself with people that are doing what you want to do. Um, I'd say try to make friends with people that are kind of like on your level or slightly above your level and then frequently hang out with people that are above your level. Um, I guess like as, as an example is like almost I, I have I realized literally today that I have almost zero friends right now that I am consistently in contact with that have a W2 job. And I like forget that W2 jobs exist. Like I'm everyone's just focused on like, hey, what's the next cool idea? What's the next, you know, what's the next endeavor that we're going to be doing and it's like really fun and it's high energy and you want to be around those kind of people and that's like my everyday friendship and then occasionally right i'll go hang out with some of the big dogs like you know like the brand turners or the tarl yarbers david greens like those guys and then i'm like that's where i could be in a few years right if i just kind of keep doing it learn from their mistakes and get there quicker right and i hope everyone listening to this is going to learn from my mistakes and get to financial independence quicker you know, like I got there, you know, I was financially independent uh, at 26, which is early amongst a lot of people. But now I'm hearing 18, 17, 18. Ethan, how old are you? You look like you're super young. Yeah, I'm 20. You're 20, yep. right? Like, dude, you you find this at 20, you're going to be financially independent by the time you're like 23 or 24. Like, that's incredible. And so 
I look at it in the way that like the earlier we can get people to financial independence means that we're doing our job correctly. So how can people start to nurture those connections and network and find people that are slightly above them or quite a ways above them and be able to learn from them? So, um, you know, meetup.com, bigger pockets, Instagram, start following people, start reaching out and just start creating relationships. I highly recommend, um, providing value to them in some way and don't just ask them, Hey, you know, will you be my mentor or, Hey, can I pick your brain for a few minutes or, Hey, I would love to help you out. Please let me know how I can help in any way. Like you don't want to make the, the, whoever you're asking probably has a lot going on and does not want an assignment from you. It's more like, Hey, I noticed this about your social media. Uh, you know, I, I, I've done a pretty good job at running some Instagrams. Like, would you mind if I maybe ran your Instagram for a few weeks? Say, you know, no charge. Just want to see if I could do it. And, and okay, that, that, like the little amount, the least amount of thinking you can have the other person do, the better. And then, and then by providing that value, that person remembers you. And then in the future, when you might need help or just being around them will make you, make you know more, get there sooner, like you mentioned. So, where can our listeners find you? Uh, so you can find me um, on Instagram. I'm at the Fi Guy. Um, if you, you know, if you are looking for a house hack, um, you can always go to our website, thefiteam.com. We can help anybody house hack anywhere around the country, whether it's doing it ourselves or or uh, finding you a good agent in your area. Um, we've got our own podcast too, the the Fi Team podcast. Um, yeah, so that's probably the best places there. Awesome. Well, Craig, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. I think that when people know and learn about this house hacking strategy, it's probably one of the quickest ways to build financial independence. Cause like we said before, you're decreasing, you're eliminating your largest expense, you're paying down a property and you're increasing your income all at the same time, which is there's no other investment that I know of that can do that. So I think people knowing this and just knowing even the surface level stuff and being able to dig deeper and then learn more through your book through other podcasts and even just getting in contact, like you said, with a broker will be huge. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Have a great day. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. If you're listening to my voice right now, I want to say thank you for listening slash watching this podcast all the way through. Your support means the world to me. Another way you can support this podcast is by downloading episodes, leaving a review on Apple Podcasts and liking, commenting and subscribing on YouTube. If you have any questions for me or have any ideas on a future guest, as always, DM me on Instagram at realethanlang. Thanks again for watching this episode. I'll see you guys all next week. Peace out.